0: Welcome to Definitely Maybe Agile, the podcast where Peter Madison and David Shark discuss the complexities of adopting new ways of working at scale. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Definitely Maybe Agile with your hosts, Peter Madison and David Shark. How are you today,
1: Dave? Excellent. I love your energy this uh, this fine day. I guess the spring spring air is working for you then, is it? Oh, definitely. Spring is in my step. It's uh, just got
0: back from my yeah. trip. It's like, it's good. I feel good. Oh. good.
1: So um, <laughs> speaking of, of spring and, and uh, warm weather, our conversation this week is going to be about Antarctica and icebergs, I guess. Uh, yeah. You want to, to
0: introduce the book that we were discussing this week? Well, we can't get enough of the cold, right? It's like we need more cold. That's exactly what we need. Yeah. So we're going to be talking about My Iceberg is Melting, which is a uh, wonderful little parable of uh, John Cotter's uh, uh, methodology as eight steps of change.
1: Yeah. And it's uh, it's one of those, I mean, obviously an easy read, if it's not obvious, it's a a short parable and uh, very quick to read, but also quite deep in terms of the content that it's trying to cover. We've spent many many of these conversations talking about change in organizations uh, we've talked about the eight step model from kotter's perspective in a couple of those conversations uh, this is sort of the the easy point of entry into that that change model um, from the perspective of penguins and a melting ice flow. Yeah, and it's a nice easy read, it's like
0: 150 pages, takes you a couple of hours it's yeah. it's a really, really easy to get into, really easy to consume and it manages to describe the entire process very, very well I, had, uh, I, I quite uh, enjoyed it.
1: So maybe in summary, just to, to, I mean, the story is about an iceberg with uh, or an ice sheet, I guess, with a colony of penguins on it and um, they've been living on that iceberg for many Many years. That's what they're used to. And the whole thing starts with one of the penguin characters recognizing that there is change coming. There's something wrong with the iceberg and how to gain buy in across, in this case, a colony of penguins, which of course is exactly analogous to the many organizations that we work with and the colony of folks in those organizations. But really nice way of looking at how to get change up and running so what did you take away what works what doesn't work about the book?
0: So i think even from the the get-go one of the nice things is that the penguin who realizes that they have a problem is not the penguin at the top of the house in their hierarchical colony um, and when he goes and tries to convince the the leader, it doesn't go so well. The leader's like sort of yeah, okay, whatever. And uh, then he has to go and ask somebody else who says, well, I'm going to go ask a friendly penguin that I know that's willing to listen to me, who might be actually open to the idea that maybe we do need something to change here. Um, and then that's them who goes and convinces the the leader to okay maybe we should start to look at this and listen about this and it's it's not all hey it's going to be the guy at the top who's going to say he's the one with all the vision he has all of the ideas and he's the one who's going to drive us to safety
1: what i really liked about just kind of re- reminding ourselves first of all it's not it's not in that business world but we all understand this inherently we've seen this happen in organizations which is the leadership team are made up of many different characters, many different perspectives. And it's not, change is not as straightforward as saying, hey, we've seen an opportunity or there's a risk that we need to move away from, an opportunity we need to chase, take it up to a leadership team. Everybody nods their heads, buys into the idea and away we go. The reality, and I think this comes across so well in the book very early on, and those characters stay in real life, kind of discussed and, and continue to, impact all of the conversations and the actions as they go through the story is the reality is you're not just going to go and find everybody's on the same page and all wanting to do things, right? You're going to find people who are actively against the idea, who will try and undermine the idea, who will continuously... Foster uh, resistance to making those changes, and I thought that was a really interesting takeaway because I think too many times in more sort of clearly instructional books on how to deal with change, they ignore the networking bit. They ignore the politics. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's like, well, that doesn't exist. It's all smooth. We go and ask the person, they just do it. So simple as that. Uh, and I think that that piece right at the beginning. Um, so if, as I as I call it, the uh, iceberg that there are is full of water and the penguin knows that if that water freezes, the iceberg's going to shatter and they'll have nowhere to live. So he, the, he goes and demonstrates this. So the step one of Carter, create urgency, he demonstrates this by having a bottle filled with water, lets the water freeze and the water bottle goes... POP <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that that's how he convinces him. That's how he creates that sense of urgency of like, hey, we we've got to do something about this. We don't do something about this, um, bad things are going to happen. And uh, and he does yeah. it visibly, and he shows it, and he, he demonstrates it.
1: Well, and I and I think that was and several times in the story, there is an opportunity to effectively present a boring PowerPoint presentation about the risks and the numbers and the analytics and so on and number a number of times there you know a a real kind of key takeaway that you take you you walk off with is um, numbers and logic and analysis isn't going to get the buy-in that you're looking for that bottle breaking the how so so a a couple of things that really stand out right at the outset is how do you gain buy-in by approaching the right people who are have the right mindset who are open to a conversation who are prepared to take a risk and follow your line of thinking to understand what the problem is number one that's that bit about the networking bit it isn't necessarily top of house it can be it's got to be an an influencer into that top of house but you're finding the right individual and they're possibly not in your sort of line of management but the second thing is data and analytics and logic don't convey an urgent message in the same way as the breaking bottle something that people can get around their head around yeah not,
0: not everybody not everybody is convinced by data there's another way of looking at that too it's uh... well uh, Um,
1: it's interesting I would take slightly which is the data is helpful but you don't make the sort of emotional invested mm -hmm. decisions that you have to make in order to get these sorts of changes through analytics alone yes well this is why executives
0: talk in metaphors it's the
1: (laughs) well exactly it's storytelling in a nutshell narrative leadership the whole point of this one is, is how do we communicate it in a way that more most people understand
0: exactly exactly it's something that can people can understand and buy into and yes a sheet full of numbers won't convince people um in that way the I and mean, the second step of course is when they form that that coalition they they Get the penguins together who are going to do something about this. Once they've originally, once he's actually managed to create some interest in doing something. And uh, the, the interesting part there was that it it was a cross functional team. It was it wasn't uh, hey this it's just we're just going to pick the leaders. It was well no we're gonna we're gonna need the architect down there and we're gonna need person who knows how to talk to birds and we need a person the the fisherman and uh, we're we're gonna need all these people and all these different perspectives and bring them together uh, to form that powerful coalition that
1: is capable of understanding what we should do about this problem. And and it's uh, I, I found that one, again, quite interesting because it was a reminder that it isn't just go get your executives. And knowing, we've again briefly discussed this in the past, but knowing what we know about networks is really understanding the informal networks in the organization and understanding you need a collection of different perspectives and different positions of authority that touch on those informal networks so that you're building credibility across a very broad swath of, of the population that you're working with. And in fact, in later on in the book, what you find is that every individual pretty much on that guiding coalition is engaged in supporting activities, whether that's blocking activities. If I remember rightly, there is the character No-No that is oh, yes. forever saying no, right? But but also fermenting resistance. And that there was one of the individuals from the guiding coalition, the professor, that basically pushed that individual into the corner so they would, you know, mute the noise that was coming from that people who were pushing against the idea Yes, so they could move forward they could actually
0: start to do things it was good Yeah. Yeah. and uh, then then of course I mean the the next part is they they move on to like how how are we going to create a vision for this something that people are going to understand which again is this narrative storytelling how do we come up with the story that people are going to uh, resonate something that they can relate to so that they can uh, so that when we say hey this is what we want to do this is why we want to do it and this is what What's driving it? And um, this is why it matters to you. And it's what's in it for you. And uh, in their case,
1: being safe (laughs) being off this iceberg that (laughs) will explode well yeah and persuading people that this was a serious issue that needed addressing um what i also found interesting there and and again it's it's the opposite of uh, paralysis analysis That's always a mouthful but the opposite of that in the sense that that messaging went out before they had a solution and mm -hmm. i find that one is something especially in 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 a world now with shareholders looking over our shoulder and and public conversation about what we're up to as much as private. Some of those there's sort of, I guess, courage to step up and say, here is an existential threat to us as a population of penguins in this case, but here is this existential threat. We don't exactly know how we're going to address it, but we need you to know about it to know we need some activity on this. We're going to start looking at it. And and I think that was actually something that I really took away from because sometimes we try and plan everything to the nth degree. And we try and say, this is what you're going to do. And this is how your job will change. Instead of saying, we're all in this together, but we've got to act in some way. We've just got to figure out what that's going to look like.
0: And I think they also ask people, um, well, have you got any ideas?
1: <laughs> Come um, tell Absolutely, us. yeah. <laughs> yeah, like... yeah. And, and that's where the, this whole thing with the seagull comes in, which is really, you know, those ideas. And I, again, there's so much, much depth in a very, very simple uh, parable. But one of the things is knowing what we know about complexity and, and real existential threats, which are which are incredibly difficult to plan your way out of broadening how many people are aware of it so that more and more people are beginning to go, oh, I wonder if what I know or am observing or seeing or understanding may contribute to the end goal is a, is again from a from a, an information network It's that broadening where you get information from so that you're in a better position to be able to identify opportunities that may not be obvious otherwise
0: yes exactly yeah
1: and then and then
0: they move on to
1: uh, communicating
0: the vision so that now that they've designed it right so next in our, in our line of attack here is the like communicating the vision and they have to get that 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 story the vision that they've created out to their Population of penguins, and yeah.
1: uh, <laughs> <it's> like <laughs> the underwater posters, isn't it? If <laughs> yes. they're showing these <laughs> posters everywhere, right? And I find this one quite interesting because I think so many times, I mean, we've gone virtual over the last few years. Remote work is common. Nobody's walking around corridors necessarily seeing the posters. So that that needs shifting, right? That we need to update what we mean when we look at some of these things. But what really struck me was. It is like egg, over and over and over again. There's continuous communication and, and that sort of just going backwards and forwards with one talk after the next, after the next. It was just never ending um, reinforcement of that message, which I thought was a really interesting reminder. We forget. We think, oh, we've communicated it a handful of times. What really came out is just how frequently that communication needs to be in place to effectively drown out and raise the morale and keep people on focus there's a lot that goes into that
0: yes there is and i normally when when i'm talking about uh, that creating that powerful coalition where i work with organizations in that it's uh, that communications role is the First one that need to, uh, you say, we, we need somebody who does this, who's dedicated to this program, who is to uh, understand and can do communications well, and is gonna create the buzz around this because they are gonna be absolutely essential and you need them really early.
1: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> kind of the first person you need. Uh, really early and really frequent. In fact, I, I mean, I, I think just in my own experience, I'd say is it's one of those things, if you skimp on that one, you're you're just dooming. If it's a, if it's a challenging change, there needs to be that drumbeat of communication all the time to help people stay focused. Yep, exactly.
0: Yeah. And, I, and I've known some fantastic people in those roles over the years who've done a great job of doing that communication and setting up the events and finding new ways of communicating. And it, uh, it's a skill and it uh, should never be overlooked. Yep. And- I, I liked in the book as well how there was the different reactions. I'm talking about another book, but crossing the chasm, it, but it, that the piece where the the early adopters were like, "That's that's really interesting. We've got to do something about that." I'm on board. How do I help? And to the people who said, "Yeah, I'm not going to worry about that yet." And then the, the so there, there was a piece of that in the narrative around the the, the yeah. different groups of penguins and how they responded to it. And some of them yeah. were like, "That's ah, not going to happen. It's just yet another yeah. disaster that they're telling us about." It's like it didn't happen last year. It's not going to happen this year. <laughs> it's yeah. A-
1: Well, and I I thought that was very cleverly done in the book, because it it draws attention to two things. One is, in Agile, we always assume positive intent. And I don't think this is an example of negative intent. But some people's positive intent is to reinforce their state, their view, which means you will have people actively preventing actions that you need to be taken. So if we ignore that, if we don't take action to both mute that and drown it out in some way, or recognize that that's happening then that's also going to be somewhat of a, a challenge that, that yeah. can lead to it unraveling
0: and in some t- times as well there's like recognizing it and learning from it because we may be wrong in what we've made as a presumption yeah, absolutely. and so we've got to also look at it to say okay is there something in what they're saying are, are they just being naysayers and fighting back against this because they're crutchety or are they actually do they actually uh Uh, is the value in what they're they're, they're bringing to the table that we need to learn from so we can bring that to the table too because we mustn't forget about that. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I was, uh, it reminds me of when, whenever I'm reading a book, even if I'm finding it really tough, I'm always looking, what's the one thing I can learn from yes. this? <laughs> Sometimes you have to dig deep, but there is something <laughs> so, you're going to be able to learn, right? Yeah. Uh, one of the other things was the enabling independent action. And again, so I, I work with eight cotters all the time when we're working with organizations and that element of enabling independent action is, it was really well explained, this high, whole idea of It's like a a celebration event where everybody's bringing fish to feed the the penguins that weren't going to be able to feed themselves because they were contributing elsewhere. But what was interesting is it kind of came up from from out of left field of just, uh, I think there's a bunch of kid penguins wanting to help. And what that reminded me is just that whole idea of there are people and parties in your organization, groups that want to help. And we so often close the door and plan in a committee type of environment and open the door and go, this is what we're going to do. Instead of listening and encouraging and empowering actions elsewhere
0: yes yeah and and that's that is a it's such a key part of it when you say say oh well, we see this in things like uh devops all the time it's like uh, there's so many people want to remove these barriers and they have ways to do it and there's things that they want to do uh, and uh a classic some members is a devops team that was't think you can tell because they were devops teams, so there's immediate warning signs there but but you do need that, but in that in that yeah. sense, they were operating in the bad sense of this in a way because they were off in their silo, building a solution that nobody wanted necessarily and then when they did show up to interact with the teams, they went and sat in a corner and, and then when I was talking to this, like so why is nobody coming to talk to us <laughs> yeah. it's like
1: well (laughs) maybe absolutely yeah 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 and i think i i mean that one is is i just think it's a great reminder just to go and and unfortunately in in a remote environment it's tough right you can't just walk the corridors and listen out for conversations and contribute but there are forums that you can just start gaining um gaining momentum and also that whole bit of uh there was no feedback saying that's a daft idea that would never work right and of course part of that is there are ideas that will you know, flame out really quickly. There are other ideas that will stay damp, and you can't get them going. And then there'll be a- the ideas that take off. So part of it is how do you kind of facilitate that so that they all of those ideas get an opportunity to flourish, even if they don't all flourish. Yes. Yeah. And th- and the next piece is uh, this idea of like creating
0: quick wins. It's uh, which I think yeah. comes out of that, right? It's like the uh, identifying
1: the ones that will flourish and fanning yeah. the flames. Yeah. <laughs> and- well, yeah, and communicating about it and sharing that success so that. Yes it's re- it's it's followed through again and again and i think that was really again t- just comes back to that communication but yes yeah letting everybody know <laughs> to look what we did um <laughs> and then that that
0: builds us into the the next piece which is that now you have that and you've built that like look at what we did and you've got that base of it it's now you start to look at then like how do we build on top of that how do we uh, start to uh, uh, get others start to pay attention to it now in other words like moving beyond the the initial adopters the ones where we've seen those quick wins and then getting to build out into the rest of it and start to tackle some of the more difficult questions and uh, and have people go and start to solve that i mean and, and again it's not about that the central people having to come up with all of the solutions it's about now that we've, we've in we've inspired people to do this we understand what the vision is it's enabling them to be able to go and carry this themselves and find their ways forward
1: with it and and there was there's some little subtle hints in in the the parable as well which talks about if you're going to spend all that time doing these things you're going to have to stop doing other things. Mm -hmm. And that one I thought was uh, because as their momentum is building, it's no longer there's one or two individuals that that take a risk and and want to go out and do what's necessary to make the change. But as they're gaining momentum, they're drawing more people to them. Obviously, it means other things are not being done. And I thought that was quite interesting because, again,
0: yeah. We don't always see that. <laughs> oh, we we've. I, I know you and I have both seen this in organizations in both of the like the main areas we work in, where the it takes work to change, and it always will take to work, and we're always changing. So there always needs to be attention to that work and effort put into it. But so often it um, comes across as a side of the desk activity. Yeah. And the organization isn't interested in investing in it, either in stopping work to make capacity in the system to enable that change to occur or by um, ramping up and adding more capacity yeah. to make it happen. Uh, and basically it just fizzles out or yeah. it takes a, starts to take a very, very long time and the organization gets to the point, well, well this isn't working. And it's like, well, yeah. you don't really actually
1: try. <laughs> no well, it, it, it's you almost like, space like it. yeah, they, exactly. There's a sea change from there's a small group of people who are trying to make a change happen to more and more people are, are, their daily activities are shifting from what they used to do to what they need to do to build that momentum. And that shift has to come at a cost to the organization. You have to stop doing something in order to put more effort behind something else. And I think that was just a, a, a you know, when you're looking at that final step of just building building um, momentum and 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 repeating, sort of iterating that forward. There's an element of and doing less of other things as you get that. Otherwise, you're just not going to cross the line. Yes. Yeah. So it's, ha- it's the organization's capacity to unlearn
0: and relearn there. And that's the rate at which that change can occur. And if there isn't enough slack in the system to do that, then, yeah, you're not going...
1: Well, that. and that that sentence you've just said leads us right to the final step of the eight steps, right? which is institutionalizing the change and the culture is that that ability for an organization to do whatever it is that that changes. But what I found really it was a it was a great way of just putting this in context because the institutionalizing the change wasn't about, you know, setting up home on this new ice flow that they'd found and got to, but was about, building in that sort of mindset of continually exploring and looking out for the next big risk and practicing the skills that we developed. I'm reminded we've worked, been fortunate to listen in and and work with federal government groups through, you know, following what happened with the pandemic. And what's really interesting is the Government, which is traditionally viewed as a slow and bureaucratic, while in many ways they changed really, really rapidly and they were able to address those existential threats really quickly. And what's interesting is listening to how they're trying to institutionalize that skill set that they developed through that pandemic period to do the same thing today. And that's exactly, that would be the eighth step that that is described.
0: Making the change stick and continuing to to do it. I mean, that's a good example of it. That's even a better example because the change you're making to to stick there is the ability to change. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's a little meta.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's an ice flow above the ice flow or something like that. I don't know. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, I think I think overall, I think we would say that, yeah, this is a it's a great little story. It's such a quick read. There's so much to draw from it. It's a, it's a really great uh, learning and a way of communicating it. And again, what I mean, we were talking about the narrative, right, if you're going to communicate something and communicating it as a narrative can be a very powerful way of of getting Absolutely. the ideas across. So it's uh, it works very well. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a good book. I, I was talking with you before we started recording a bit about some of the criticism I've seen for it out there or for the the Cotter's model as opposed yeah. to the book um, per se, which was mostly as being around what's well, very hierarchical. It's very top down. It's like we start from a leadership and leadership has to be there to put all this together. Um, but as we were talking, as we're going through this, I think it's, it's kind of clear that it, it, that isn't the way it comes across in the story necessarily yeah. it's not entirely hierarchical i think there's uh, there's perhaps room but i mean you can't build a perfect model it's obviously it's a, it's a oh, way of looking yeah. at things but th- this is one that really does does help thinking through what am i going to need to do to introduce the change it uh,
1: it works quite well that well, well what i appreciated it what i i mean it, to your point about what the strengths and weaknesses i one of the things i think both you and i t- talked about this and we've learned over the years is there are always strengths and there are always weaknesses the goal is we, we need to understand what we need right now what mm-hmm. what we can take away from it and what i find interesting there are there are change models which are more formulaic in terms of what the change is and how to make it happen this is one that really focuses on those those intangibles around the side like you know how we You, how, who do you talk to when, or what are the, you know, you can't just get top down. You're going to need more than just pure top down communication. So, and, and the other thing that comes out very clearly in the book is the plan isn't the the transformation. Mm -hmm. There isn't, there's very little information about what the plan is. There's information about how to get buy in, how to communicate it, how to gain momentum, but not what should the plan be? Yes. And I think that's an interesting kind of, maybe that's a way to end the conversation. It's an interesting takeaway from that. It is.
0: It is. Well, uh, well, thank you as always, Dave. It's always fun to have these conversations. Uh, enjoyed it. And, yes. Uh, nice to talk
1: penguins once in a while. It is. It is. My, my son would be overjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, until next time, really appreciated it. And let's, uh, let's catch up soon. Sounds good.
0: You've been listening to Definitely Maybe Agile the podcast where your hosts, Peter Madison and David Sharrock focus on the art and science of digital, agile, and DevOps at scale.